So uh, it is uh, a Sunday in which our culture kind of takes a pivot from summer to fall, although most of us don't feel like it's fall. Uh, but we're, we're shifting into a different gear, many of us. And uh, so I thought it would be good to acknowledge that and to talk about together what it means for us as a family of families. The scripture for today is from Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. Ephesus, a, a city uh, that, uh, whose culture was really uh, a stream of living and a way of thinking that was counter to what Paul wanted the church to be doing. Uh, and so Paul's uh, letter, a lot of it is, is advice, it's encouragement, exhortation on how to live, how to be the church in this culture And I'm going to uh, pick a few selected verses from the middle of of this letter. Starting in chapter 4, he says, uh, I, as a prisoner of the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit, in the bond of peace. For there is one body and one spirit that animates it. And then he goes on a little later to say, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. We're all beloved children. And live in love as Christ has loved us and gave himself up for us. And he goes on, be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, be subject to your husbands as you are to the Lord. And husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Children, obey your parents as in the Lord. And fathers, Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters as you would obey Christ. And masters, do the same to them. Stop threatening them, for you know that both of you have the same master in heaven. And with God, there is no partiality. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So in a way, this is opening day. It is uh, the time in, on opening day when, in, when the, if you're a Cubs fan, you always remember that phrase, hope springs eternal. Every year you would, you would hope, okay, they're, they're going to finally turn it around. But uh, it's, as with any opening day, it's, it's not only hopeful, but there's a lot of nervousness. There may be sadness that summer is over, or for the parents, it could be elation that summer is over. Uh, you could have a lot of excitement. Kids could be bouncing across, all, along the walls just waiting to get to school for the first day. Could be a lot of fear and anxiety. Could be a lot of worry on the part of you kids or your parents or grandparents. You know, 
it's the time when it seems like our blood pressure rises and we start to feel a little more pressure, whether we're grandparents or parents, aunts and uncles, kids in school, faculty members. For some of us, we're just hoping that our kids, our family members, will make it through the school year with more smiles than tears, with a minimum of drama, without too much tragedy, just Fitting in and being normal would be great. Because that itself, it can be a struggle. For others, oh no, it's, the expectation is to go pretty much undefeated. To, to win all the superlatives, to make straight A's, to, be, to run with the most popular crowd. Uh, you have high, high expectations for yourself or for your kids. You know, we see our children and our, we see them like no other people. We see their faults and their vulnerabilities the way no one else can see them. And we also see their potential and their beauty and their amazing wonder. I'm not here today to give you all any parental, parental advice, even though, you know, the title of my uh, <clears throat> job includes families. Uh, and so, but you know, there's a, whole, there's a whole industry out there that talks about advice for parents or grandparents, how to, how to produce a productive, happy, balanced, gritty, persevering, confident, optimistic child. And you're either too permissive or you're not permissive enough. You need to spend more time with your kids or you need to leave them alone to, to play on their own. You need to praise them more. No, you need to praise them less. There's, there's every manner of advice and outlook on family life and parenting out there on the web and in the bookstore. You've seen it. We've all sampled it looking for answers. It's enough to drive us crazy. And sometimes we bring that craziness to church and we think, well, the church is that place where you check off that spiritual box for your kids to cover that base. I'm not here today to add to the pressure that you feel. That you, that you feel and I'm not here to judge. And I hope that none of us ever feel judged for the way our families are. I remember I, when I was in college... My two little sisters were 13 and 15 years younger than me. And I had the bright idea to buy my mother a big, thick parenting book. <laughs> and she was single. My father had died. So she was raising them alone. And this was a book that I thought had a good table of contents, but I didn't even read it. But I gave it to her. <clears throat> Bad idea. <laughs> dumb. Really dumb. But you know, everyone has an image of what a family should be. Little kids have an image. All of us do. Where do you get your image? What is your image of a, of a good family? What does it mean to be in a healthy family and to be raising healthy kids? Maybe you get your image from Ozzie and Harriet, or June and Ward Cleaver, or the Brady Bunch, or the Waltons, or Modern Family. You know where we get our ideas about family. A lot of it comes from our own family, the families we've been raised in. 
and the families we see around us. And we have illusions. I had so many illusions as a young parent. I remember with my first son, holding him in a rocking chair, trying to get him to sleep, and thinking, why won't this little guy go to sleep? He just keeps screaming. He'll sleep, and then when I get him up, get up to put him in the crib, he wakes right up. It's like there's something defective about him. I don't understand it. And it turns out that kids have all the power in families. It just seems that way. I remember a little later after we had a, a few kids, um, I was, we were piling them in the, in the uh, soccer mom van, the, the Ford Aerostar, to go to a church league softball game. And we were in a hurry, we were late, the game was way out on Lane Avenue. And I was telling Peggy, come on, we gotta go, I don't wanna be late, because you know, I had to warm up. And so, you know, I'm screaming, let's go, let's go, and we're piling in, I'm starting the van, they're running, they're diving in as the van is pulling out of the driveway. We tear out I-10, get out to Lane Avenue, and we start to unload, and we realize, ooh, we left somebody at home. (laughs) I wonder where they are. So you realize your illusion about parenting, it, it kind of goes by the wayside. We, we make so many mistakes. Remember one son sitting across from me uh, in my living room saying, Dad, I need help. My life is out of control. Boy, didn't you think that made me feel, God, Bill, what are you doing? Parenting is so hard as well as rewarding. But we carry these illusions about what we are able to do and what we think our kids should be. The journey and adventure of parenting can be rocky. It's filled with experiences that touch us deeply in our heart. And they expose our most hidden vulnerability. Where does a mother go when she knows that she not only cannot control her children, but she can't even control her own temper and her own tongue. Where does a father go when after trying to comfort his child, he goes away knowing there's no way he is going to be able to protect that dear one from the world? Who parents the parents? Who holds them in the darkness? Who accepts them in their rage? Who picks up the pieces of their broken attempts at being the kind of parents they always thought they would be? Who binds up the wounds and gives them the courage to keep going? Well, don't we say we are a movement of reconciliation here at Riverside? Isn't that what this means? to be a movement of reconciliation, to be a safe place where whatever kind of family we have, whether we are single, widowed, whether we are a a childless couple, divorced, with a lot of kids, maybe with grandkids, whatever your, quote, family looks like, we are a family of families who need a safe place a place where we learn the way of reconciliation. Now, the text I 
read today from Ephesians is from the Apostle Paul, who kind of goes old school on us, right? He sounds a little harsh, maybe, to modern ears. You know, wives, be subject to your husbands. Children, obey your parents. Slaves, obey your masters. You you heard that. Doesn't seem to fit too well. But you know, if you read it carefully, it's very subversive. He doesn't head-on challenge the status quo. But every, every relationship is qualified. Paul undermines the status quo by saying there is a mutual obligation in every relationship. Whatever the culture says about power inequality, in the eyes of God, we all are equal. And we have a mutual obligation to each other's well-being. Is that not enough for you? Well, let me go a little bit farther. He says, be imitators of God as beloved children and live in love as God, as, as Jesus Christ has sacrificed himself for us. So that's the heart of our family life, to be imitators of God, to be a place where we mirror the love of God, the unconditional care and concern of God one for another. Be subject to each other as you are subject to Christ. Every relationship has some phrasing in there about as you relate to this person, do so as you would relate to Christ. So I could never possibly relate to any of you or anyone in my family without and somehow including God in the middle of it. God is right there. And we're called to be mirrors of that divine love and the image of God in the other so that they can see their belovedness. So see your family as a part of the bigger story of redemption, a part of the bigger picture of forgiveness and reconciliation. God is actually engaged in this world, not some imaginary ideal one. And God is writing a story in every family. It is as if God is saying, I'm going to use churches and families composed of broken people as a platform to demonstrate that I am a God of restoration and reconciliation. Whatever expectations you have, hopes or fears or pressure we may feel, let's take a deep breath together before we start. Breathe in the spirit of God's unconditional love. Breathe it in now. Breathe it in as you load up the car tomorrow morning to go to school. For that love can leaven the secular expectations and demands that our kids live in 
This year, as we go back to school, may our curriculum be, no matter what our age, no matter what our family looks like, to be imitators of God who abides in love. Amen.